0: Well, did you notice the other day that they've finally officially called off the search for Malaysian Airlines Flight 370? Uh, as I'm sure many of you know, MH370, it disappeared three years ago with over 200 people on board. And ever since then, something like 120,000 square kilometres of the South Indian Ocean has been searched. Over 20 million Uh, gigabytes of data has been collected and scanned and analysed from the ocean floor and something like over $1 million per missing person has been spent trying to find them. It has been the biggest search and rescue mission in the history of the planet. And yet as exhaustive as that search has been, there's actually been one other that makes the hunt for MH370 pale into insignificance. It's the search and rescue mission for you, by no less than God himself. See, look again at the very last verse of our reading this morning, verse 10. It's pretty much the punchline towards which everything in the passage heads. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now that title, the Son of Man, that's one of Jesus' favourite ways of referring to himself. So do you see what Jesus is declaring about himself in that sentence? He's saying that he has come. In other words, the whole point of Jesus being on earth in the first place. Because remember, he is God with us. That's what this current teaching series has been all about ever since Christmas, that the birth of Jesus was in fact the arrival of God himself on earth. And here in verse 10, God is saying that the whole point of him being here is to seek and to save the lost. The God of all the universe came to this little speck of a planet on a search and rescue mission. And that is good news for us all. Let me show you how by tracing now back through the passage so as to see how it all culminates in this punchline about Jesus' mission. So come with me back from that last verse to the first two verses where we get introduced to a very unpopular person. Verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, better clarify... uh, Jesus is the first person mentioned in the passage. He's not the unpopular person that I'm referring to in the passage. Uh, Jesus is, in fact, the opposite at this stage of his life. He is so popular that he is getting mobbed everywhere he goes. In today's passage, one of the reasons why events unfold the way they do, it's because he's being so mobbed that it's difficult to even get a glimpse of him at times. It's all because Jesus is doing some pretty amazing things. Jesus has been calming storms. Jesus has been miraculously feeding thousands of people at a time. He has been effortlessly healing people from all manner of illnesses. He's been raising people from the dead. Now, at one level, that's not surprising. Remember, he's God with us. But the net effect of all of this is that now men and women are flocking from everywhere to try and see Jesus. They are coming from everywhere to try and hear what he has to say. They are coming from everywhere to try and see what he's going to do next. And so at this stage of his life, Jesus is definitely not the unpopular person in our reading. We meet that guy in verse 2. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Please notice the two things we're told about Zacchaeus in that sentence. We're told his occupation and we're told his bank balance. Many of the people Jesus meets in the Gospels, we're not told either of those things. But here we are. And it's because both those things highlight how disliked a person he is. Firstly, he's a tax collector. Actually, make that a chief tax collector. And look, nowadays, even nowadays, no one likes paying tax, do they? But back in the day of Jesus, tax collectors were particularly disliked. It's because back at this time in their history, Israel were an occupied nation ruled over by the Roman Empire, and it was the Romans who were collecting taxes from them. That in itself drove them crazy, They hated paying money to a foreign power simply for the privilege of living in their own promised land. But even worse than that, the people who Rome appointed to collect taxes for them, they were notoriously corrupt and they would charge way above the tax level that Rome had set simply so as to line their own pockets. They could bulk bill if they wanted to. None of them wanted to. It made them really hated. And Zacchaeus, remember, we're secondly told. He's wealthy. So this this guy's been charging way over the scheduled fee. He is getting rich by ripping off his fellow countrymen. He would have been so hated. I noticed in the last Roy Morgan poll that car salesmen topped the list of most disliked and least trusted professions in Australia. If that survey had been taken in Israel around the time of Jesus, tax collectors would have easily topped the list and there would have been daylight between them and car salesmen, not just because there wasn't any cars, but because tax collectors were absolutely despised. And Zacchaeus is a filthy Rich, chief, tax collector. This guy may well have been spat upon as he walked down the street. He's about to have a very dramatic encounter with God with us. Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was a short man, he could not see over the crowd. Sounds like Zacchaeus is a little fella. I feel his pain. (laughs) When I come to church, I have to think carefully about where to sit so that when everyone stands up, I can still see the screen. Zacchaeus is going to have to think carefully about where he's going to be if he's going to get to see Jesus. Got an idea. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I'm not very good with plants, so I did a Google search to see what a sycamore fig tree looks like. Here's what I found. There's a couple of them. And I'm showing them to you because, seriously, just look at that tree. That is made for climbing. Just looking at that photo makes me want to climb it. So it's not real hard to imagine Zacchaeus pushing through the crowd and scrambling up a tree like that. And it's not hard to imagine at all. Zacchaeus, when he's high enough up to, to imagine him carefully working his way out along one of those branches, looking out down the street in the direction that this, this Jesus is coming. And at first, all he can see is this crowd approaching. But then they get closer and closer and closer. And Zacchaeus can now make out the top of someone's head, right in the middle of this mass of people. That, that, that must be Jesus. And they come closer and closer and closer. And then finally Zacchaeus can start to make out his face. That would have been cruel. Cool, to have actually seen in the flesh Jesus the most influential person in history to have seen him. We have a a daughter who works at St Vinnie's Hospital and St Vincent's Hospital is the closest major hospital to the CBD and so we occasionally get excited texts from Flick saying that she's seen someone famous at the hospital. The Prime Minister Ducking in a back door to make an announcement about something, or a, or a TV celebrity, or, or, or a sports star. That's probably how Zacchaeus would have been feeling. Here's Jesus. Here's the one that everyone's been talking about. This is what he looks like. And they come closer and closer. I can imagine him getting a little excited because he's actually going to get a real good look at Jesus because Jesus is actually going to pass really close to this tree that he's decided to climb. And they come closer and closer and closer. And can you imagine how Zacchaeus felt when, verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot... And as I understand it, in the original language, it literally means when Jesus reached the exact same spot. In other words, when Jesus was precisely, directly underneath where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now, friends, you've got to appreciate This is so not what usually happens in the Gospels. Usually what happens in the Gospels is that other people initiate contact with Jesus. Think about all the other people that we've been looking at in this series. The paralysed man. The woman with bleeding the synagogue man with the dying daughter, the rich bloke two weeks ago, the prostitute last week, they all made the approach to Jesus. They all initiated the contact. That's not what happens here. Jesus makes the first move. And can you begin to imagine what that would have been like? To have Jesus, who you have only ever heard all these things about. You've never met the bloke before. To have Jesus, the most influential person in all of human history. Can you imagine God with us looking directly at you? And in the middle of a crowd, he looks up, makes eye contact with you and calls your name. Zacchaeus. Come down. How would you feel at that point? Honoured? Terrified? Excited? Verse 6 tells us that Zacchaeus hurried down the tree and welcomed Jesus gladly to his home. We'll come back to that. The guy probably can't believe that Jesus would want to spend any time with him, let alone that he knows his name. Other people certainly can't believe it. Verse 7 tells us that all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus is now being called a sinner now. That's the sort of language that was reserved for the prostitute last week. Because remember, this guy is a hated, low-life, deceitful chief tax collector. Jesus seems completely unfazed. He goes to Zacchaeus' home and it results in Zacchaeus being a changed man. Verse 8 tells us that Zacchaeus offers us to pay back everyone he's ever ripped off. In fact, he's going to pay back four times what he's ripped them off. If he's cheated you out of 50 bucks, he's going to give you back 200. If he's cheated you out of 1,000, you're going to get $4,000. The man has been completely transformed as a result of being with Jesus. It's because, Jesus says in verse 9, salvation has now come to him. And it's not that Zacchaeus has earned salvation by being generous. It's that Jesus has brought salvation to him and so now he has become generous. He's become a changed man. It's a delightful transformation. Did you know that Zacchaeus, as the name, the name literally means pure, holy, innocent? Up until the time he met Jesus... He was none of those things. And now he is. There is a sense in which Zacchaeus has now become what he was always intended to be. Because Jesus sought him out and brought salvation to his home. And then we get to the punchline. The one we noticed earlier. The one about this amazing mission. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Can you now appreciate how this whole passage has been setting us up for that one sentence? Everything that has happened. Zacchaeus being an unpopular, corrupt person. And yet despite him of all people being the one who Jesus deliberately plucks out of the crowd to have this dramatic, dramatic, transformative encounter Jesus is doing it all to make a point it's what he's here to do he is here to seek and to save the lost and that is good news for us all because the New Testament tells us that that's us, we're all lost We're all lost in the sense that we've all wandered away from God. We're all lost in the sense that we've all rejected God and we have walked off the path of life that God has wanted us to take. It's actually a very relational word that Jesus uses when he uses the word lost. A couple of chapters earlier, Jesus has told the famous parable of the prodigal son. Remember that story? The prodigal son, that's the one about the son who rudely turns his back on his dad, basically wishes that his father was dead, basically, and collects his inheritance early and goes off and squanders it. It's an awful thing that he does and how he treats his father. But it's interesting. Jesus never calls him the prodigal son like we do. Jesus refers to him as a lost son. Lost in a lifestyle of bad choices. Lost in a lifestyle of alienation from his dad. And that's the same idea that Jesus is now pouring into this passage. Because it's true of all of us. We are lost in a, tro- in a lifestyle of bad choices. We are lost in a lifestyle of alienation from our heavenly father because it's awful the way we treat him. He gives us life. He gives us everything we've got. And yet we so often just ignore God. We take God for granted. We only ever call on him when we want him to do something for us. And yet Jesus arrives. God with us arrives. And he's not here to perform miracles and put on a show and become popular. And he's not here to give us a bunch of rules and tell us to pull our socks up. He's not even here to punish us for how badly we've been treating God because God knows we deserve it. He's here to seek and to save the lost. And that's why, for those with eyes to see it, that's why back in verse 1, we're already being told that Jesus entered Jerusalem uh, Jericho and was passing through. Because he's passing through on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus isn't aimlessly doing a tour of Palestine, putting on a show. He's specifically heading for Jerusalem. He's heading for the cross. He's heading for his execution. Not because he's done anything wrong, but he's going to be executed for all the things we've done wrong. Because that's how he's going to save us. That's what he came to do to take our punishment in our place so we can have forgiveness and peace, as we heard last week. This is an amazing mission. I mentioned earlier that the hunt for MH370 has been called off. It's produced a lot of heartache. It's raised some difficult questions. When do you stop looking for someone? The grief-stricken families... uh, of the victims, they are begging for the search to reopen so that they can get some closure. But when is the cost too great to be able to do that? We are lost and far from God. And Jesus came to seek and to save us, knowing full well that the cost would be his very life. Astonishing. I hope you appreciate how much you must mean to God. Because if you do, it's a matter of doing exactly what Zacchaeus did in verse 6. Remember what he did? He welcomed Jesus gladly. A little while ago, uh, 27-year-old Benjamin Maloney went bushwalking in Tasmania. The guy wanted to do the South coast trek which normally takes about 10 days to complete they reckon ben however decided to wander off the path to have a look at a few things no problem he reckoned he knew where he was he'd be able to find his way back anytime he wanted to he wasn't lost but after 7 days after 14 days after 21 days after 28 days Ben finally had to admit to himself that he had no idea where he was. He had no idea where he was going. He had no idea how to find his way back. He was so lost that evidently the poor guy would just occasionally sit in the one spot for days at a time, disorientated, confused and hungry. After five weeks, Benjamin Maloney heard some voices crawled through some thick bush, stumbled back onto the track and collapsed into the arms of rescuers. In the words of one of the rescuers, he was really pleased to see us. (laughs) I reckon that sounds like Zacchaeus in this passage, don't you? Came down the tree and welcomed Jesus gladly effectively fell into the arms of his rescuer. Can you imagine Benjamin Maloney having heard those voices and found the path? Can you imagine him coming face to face with his rescuers? Can you imagine him then turning around and deciding to head back into the scrub and take his own chances? That'd be crazy. Maybe the only thing crazier would be to walk out this morning not having been rescued by Jesus. Maybe that would be a really good thing to talk to someone about this morning. Maybe at the very least you need to grab one of the free pamphlets that are just near the door at the back of the auditorium that explain a bit more about Jesus and Christianity and the rescue that Jesus has brought us. But friends, from today's passage, please know Please understand this. The God of all the universe has specifically made his way to this little speck of a planet so as to seek you out and save you. And if you're here this morning and you have been found and you count yourself as one of his people, maybe it's time to get more on board And play your part in the rescue mission. There's people in your life you need to talk to about this. And if you're here this morning and you don't yet count yourself as one of God's people. Maybe it's time to fall into the arms of your rescuer. Receive him gladly. I'll pray. Father, thank you so much for not giving up on us. Thank you that your son came to this earth so as to seek us and save us, despite it even costing him his very life. Father, thank you. Father, we pray that having been found by you, we pray that you would use us to help others hear of your rescue mission. Father, we thank you that you stopped at nothing so as to save us from a lifestyle of bad choices and alienation from you. We don't deserve it, but we humbly, thankfully receive your rescue. Amen.